Welcome to yet another episode of Shortcast Over Coffee. Today we have with us an exceptional young violinist, Kamala Kiran Vinjamuri. Though only in his early 20s, he has already gained recognition for his prodigious talent and moving performances. Kamala Kiran initially trained under his father, the renowned violinist Subhash Vinjamuri, before taking lessons from the legendary A. Kanyakumari. Kamala Kiran has toured internationally, including performances at prestigious venues like the Carnegie Hall in New York. He represents the gen next of talent, continuing the rich legacy of Indian classical violin. In this episode, we go through his experience learning the violin from the great guru A. Kanyakumari and some technical aspects to look for while learning the violin, among many, many other things. We also have some amazing performance in this episode. So what are we waiting for? Let's get going. Hi, Kamal. Welcome to the podcast. And thank you so much for giving me time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. <laughs> um, there is no better way to start this podcast um, without a piece from you. So uh, what would you like to play for us? I will play some Bindumali. Okay. Sure. Uh, that was uh, that was absolutely heavenly. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, there is something about live music. Uh, I I don't know. It, this wasn't live life, but again, uh, that was absolutely magnificent. Um, thank you so much. Um, so let's get going. Uh, so so you were born and raised in the U.S. Uh, and you are trained in violin, uh, specifically Carnatic violin. You know, a lot of people move to the U.S., especially tech, um, in, in tech, for better opportunities. And here you are getting trained in something that has more opportunities in India. So how was that like? Uh, it would be lovely to uh, go through your path uh, towards becoming a Carnatic musician and, and this whole difference in, in opportunities between countries. Absolutely. So first of all, um, thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Uh, I've actually heard some of your episodes and I, I really, when you reached out to me, I was very excited about it. That's why quite quickly I, I was like, okay, yes, let's definitely get get on this. So um, coming to your question, I was born, so my father is a violinist himself. Uh, my grandfather is a violinist. Uh, my grandmother was a violinist on my father's side. And even on my mother's side, um, though they were not performers, they were all, you know, there's always music around the house. 
So growing up, though I was born and brought up here, I was definitely born into a household which valued arts, in general arts, whether it's dance, my aunt is a dancer, Kuchipudi dancer. So whether it's art, whether it's dance, violin, um, uh, even painting, we have so many good artists. Just in general, arts was valued a lot. Um, that being said, uh, nobody... Of course, my aunt is someone who traveled in India. She's traveled worldwide. She still does and uh, dances. And my father has accompanied all the greatest stars and has given solos in many major venues. But when I was growing up, um, I didn't see much of that. So, you know, I was, there were lots of aradhanas here in America. By the time I was growing up, you know, we had Tyagraja Aradhana. We had um, the Trinity, that is Dikshitar Shyam Shastri Day, Swati Tirunal Day. Like some aradhanas were happening, but it was not to the point where, um, at least even now where I am, the scene has changed a lot. In this week, I think we have more concerts here in DC than there are in Chennai currently now. So might be different, but the landscape when I was growing up was quite different. Um, so that being said, uh, because music was always in the house, my father was a teacher, I started learning violin from a very young age. And uh, because my grandfather was a violin and everything, my my family was very set that, okay, Kamala Kiran is going to learn how to play the violin. Um, so I learned the violin. I learned Mridangam about the same time. I used to play Carnatic music on the keyboard and also the harmonica mouth organ. If you Google me or you look up really old videos I'm really exposing myself here now, but you'll be finding videos of me playing Carnatic music on the harmonica. I did find an old video of you with the with the violin. Uh, I mean, I I may I may probably link that in the show notes so that people can check it out. Uh, you sound great even even back then. So yeah, I I did all of that, but around 2006, I think was when um you know whenever you learn violin from somebody like your father, um, you're growing up, you know, it's hard to draw the boundary between teacher and father. And sometimes the boundaries get blurred. And so that ended up happening quite a lot. So I would do like, you know, I would definitely take advantage of the fact that he's my father and not learn as seriously as I should have, or, you know, start fights, all the usual things that kids do. And then my appa was like, no, 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 you have to go get some discipline so in 2006 I moved to Chennai for one year and uh, so I went to school in Chennai for that one year of my fourth grade and I started learning violin from Sangeeta Kalanidhi Ekanya Kumari one of the greatest violinists and teachers there today um, so I've started learning from her and then since then I've been under her tutelage and ironically enough like when I came back then I realized the value. I was like, oh, I'm learning from such a great teacher. And I also have such a great teacher at home. I might as well make use of it. And so I started learning properly from Appa then as well. So at that time, we never thought I was going to, I think my parents thought, okay, he has to become a really good violinist. But we never thought it would be to the point where, you know, I'm performing every year. I'm performing, I'm coming to season. I'm going to be with all these artists like we never thought it was going to be that it was just because arts was valued in the family more than anything you know my dad would always say it's like two eyes right education is one and music is the other you can't compromise one for the other so really it was like that um but after a while once concerts started to come and things started to spread i realized this is something i really want to do so since then i would go to india twice a year for Marguerite season. So I would go in the summer to learn from my guru. And then in December, I would go to learn, I would go to perform 2009. And because I was always seen in India, many artists did not. And, and I would say also there have been, there are some great artists who've set the precedence. Um, they're very dear friends of mine. So Ramakrishnan Murthy and Sandeep Narayan, and both of them who were born and brought up here. Oh, and Ananta, Ananta Nanmurdangam. They're all born and brought up here. They moved to India and they showed the Indian scene that, okay, just because we're from America doesn't mean we're not able to do this. So because they already set the precedence, that's one you really have to give credit there because if they didn't do it, I don't think being from here, I would be able to do it now. So there, but then also because that's already seen, people know, okay, America is not to be, take, be taken lightly. There are musicians who are in America where they're talented and they're able to keep up with people in Chennai. 
and they're still able to do a good job because that was there. And I was constantly seen in India. I would take off from school in December season. I would take off about two weeks. So 14, 15 days, I would take off from school. I'd take my homework to India. Um, and whether I do it or not is a different thing. I'd find a way to do it. But I would be, you know, we would do all sorts of things to make sure I was there in season. Um, and so every, we all sacrificed a lot to make that happen. But because of that, organizers started knowing me. Artists started knowing me to a point where it was not a problem where I lived. Whether I live in Chennai or America doesn't make a difference anymore because they all know me and I'm friends with most of them. That they're like, okay, Kamlikiran is, he's here to stay. Like he's in the field to stay, we know. Like that's something that we made sure would happen so that I would always be seen. And so because of that, now I don't feel like being here or being in India made it. But it took from 2009 when I started performing almost more, more than 10 years of consistent going and showing that I'm there for them to know, okay, Kamala Karen will be coming every season. We can call him for concerts. And if we come to the US, here's a very good violinist who can tour with us. It took a long time for that to happen. Um, and I wouldn't still say I'm comfortably, I'm still working on making sure that's a thing because all said and done, um, now I'm thankful I have the other problem. Now artists are messaging me saying, why aren't you in Chennai? We want you here so you can play more. So that's a good sign. That means that, you know, with whatever my guru and my parents have done, things are going in the right direction and I can only hope it can go in that direction. But you're absolutely right in that opportunities not even in India, in Chennai for Carnatic music, you have to be seen in Chennai. Um, and I think because though I was from here, I kept on being seen in Chennai. And then of course, in the US, I got certain breaks from some really big artists, which we can go into later. And I think that really helped that there. Yeah, I think, um, I think you know, you traveling every year to Chennai uh, did did make a huge difference in, people knowing that hey this this person is here to stay uh, but but now that you are completely based in virginia uh, do you think you are missing out on opportunities and what do you do how consistently do you try to go to chennai yeah, yeah. so i still go to i will still go in the summer and i will still go in the winter pandemic aside uh yeah i still go twice a year minimum um and now that i'm done and i'm also with not not studying anymore now if i go provided work like we will get into that later i'm also working but that might not be a uh, for much longer uh but i am i try to go at least three four months uh minimum a year i'll be in chennai um and the rest of the time most of our, the artists are here anyways and there's a fall tour and there's a spring tour so because there i will inevitably be playing a fall and spring tour so the fall tour is from like let's say september to november that i'm traveling with artists who are coming from india the november i go to india chennai i'll play november to january through the season before season and after season and then in march again the spring tour starts so that will be march to may i'm anyways here doing that and then in the summer, I go again. I try to make it a point to go. If not, summer also, there are concerts happening here that keep me quite busy. So musically, I don't feel like I'm being left out for multiple, or I'm, I don't feel left out of opportunities because the ample amount of opportunities that are coming here and in India, thanks to my gurus and my parents' hard work and everything. Also, because I teach, I have quite a bit of a student base here along with my father's school. Um, where I do feel like I'm missing out are on, and this is, is non-Chennai concerts, because off-season concerts happen in Bangalore, Kerala, that kind of scene. I might not play as much in those places. You know, I'll have one concert in Hyderabad, a couple concerts in Bangalore and Kerala. And I really have to thank all my friends in Chennai because if they know I'm in India, they make it a point, oh, hey, let's perform together here. And so that's one thing I'm really grateful for, for, you know, for all of that. That being said, because the majority of the time when I'm there, I'm in Chennai, I do miss out on these opportunities. But if I were to take those, then I would be missing 
missing out on some tours here in the US. So now it's which do I want to take and why do I want to take? And this is working out for me very well right now. Yeah, yeah. Looks not like, to, looks like, um, to, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I was just saying not to say that that won't change. If I'm not working, I might spend longer time in India. I might do five, six months in India, but still it's going to be a shuttling thing. Yeah. Yeah. Looks like uh, uh, an improvement in Carnatic scene here in the US has also helped you uh, in, in, in many ways, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think I think you touched upon a really important point that, uh, you know, people were not taking uh, kids who were coming in from the U.S. to perform in Chennai that seriously. Uh, and that used to be the case earlier as well. You know, if if, you're, if you were not from Tamil Nadu, uh, I've heard this from a lot of musicians based from, based out of Kerala, was that, you know, it was really difficult for them to break into uh, Chennai circles and for, for the Sabas to take them seriously. Uh, and I think there are some other honorable mentions. I think Ananya Ashok is also born and raised here. Oh, and, and she... Ananya Ashok, Vani Ramuthi, sorry, I mentioned only... Lots uh, of names, yeah, absolutely. But is there, Ananya Ashok is there, Vani Ramuthi, they're all really close friends of mine. Vani Ramuthi is a really good friend. So, um, and Ananya, all of them. Kriti, yeah. I've known for so long. Kriti moved to India. Um, Ananya and Vani both moved to India for a while. They sang and then they're back here, but they still go every season. Not only that, but even in my own peer group from the US, there are so many people doing what I do, coming to Chennai, performing and taking it seriously. Like there's so many artists. I don't want to start naming artists because I don't want to miss <laughs> out on uh, miss out on names. But yes, yeah. there are a lot. Yeah, awesome. Uh, I want to touch on violin as an instrument. Um, uh, you know, violin is known to have a very steep learning curve or a very slow learning curve. Uh, uh, and and I remember talking to Krish Ashok, who also learned the violin, and and he mentioned to me that you know it's gonna take a while before which you are gonna like what you what the violin sounds like, and and for an instrument that does not have frets, um, you know, it must be really tough to get going, right? Like in piano or like uh, keyboard or let's say guitar, there are these sections where you can sort of visualize. Uh, how does it work? How does how do you get started with violin, an instrument that does not have any markings or frets? So this is true of both Carnatic and Western music. Um, even in Western music, because I've learned both in Western classical music, piano, compared to all these other instruments, the violin does not have any marking here. It's just muscle memory. So you learn the placement and you have to remember it. Now, not having frets is actually an advantage of the violin for Carnatic music. Slides. Then we have all to do all the gamakams that we want, right? That's a huge advantage. Not saying that you can't do it on fretted instruments, veena, guitar, mandolin. It's all possible, but this makes it quite conducive for those. So it's, it is very difficult because, um, yeah, of course, you can put little stickers. But they, what we do for kids is sometimes we'll put a sticker. So this is where Ri is. And you put a sticker like in a different color, Ga in a different color. So, you know, kids like do that. But the hope is with the muscle memory, you just know where it goes. And then you take off the stickers because that's not yeah, technically you should just be able to sit and play. But after a while now, I don't have to think about it because it, my finger goes there for muscle memory. But to get to that point, it is very difficult. Um, and not to mention, it's something that requires coordination of both hands. So there's a bowing and the fingering. So it's not just one finger doing the work. It's both doing completely different jobs. Like if you take a piano, both are doing, at least you're pressing keys. One is doing a completely different skill. This is bowing. It's a different skill for, than fingering. So you're working on two skills. Right? That is you so true. To... <laughs> yeah, I mean, even even in the case of tabla or the mridangam, uh, like you said, both 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 hands are doing pretty much the same thing, and this is completely I different. Mean, I would say it's still different. Mridangam and tabla still the base is different than the high spot. So it is doing different things, and all I think a lot of these Indian instruments, veena, they do require even guitar requires. Um, so a lot of them require two hands so i'm not i'm not trying to say violin is special in that but not having frets makes it that much harder because you have to just it's a blank slate 
And this placement is, let me show you this. This is easier for you to hear. So now I'm at Sa. This is Sa. Now I'm just going to change my finger, my angle to this. And it changed the tone. So just watch. You can actually see the, you can hear the pitch move. And I haven't even moved my finger. I, it's just barely a millimeter. So that's how sensitive it is to pitch. So I have to be like exactly on the spot, right? Which is very hard. And then bowing is also very hard because you need to know how, what pressure to put. If I put too, a little bit too much pressure, you start getting the sound. So students find it quite difficult because to get past all these roadblocks in the beginning is very tough. And then being able to learn gamakams on top of that is even more tough. So it is quite a difficult instrument to start out with. Yeah, and one thing that amazes me is you mentioned how the finger has to be at the right spot, right? How how much of a tolerance is there? Like, let's say I move it a millimeter up or down. Is it going to make a sure. huge... Yeah, it will. That's what I was trying to demonstrate. Even one millimeter will make a huge difference. That's so fascinating. And and for, pe for people who don't know ragams, for example, if you don't know the technicalities of Carnatic music, I feel like the one millimeter will make more of a difference than something that's very off. Because you'll know it's it's just piercingly wrong. If it's very off, then it might sound like another note to you, and you might say, "Okay, this is some other note." But if it's slightly off, you will you can tell. Anybody can tell. So it's a very it's an unforgiving instrument. Okay, if I were to ask you, how long did it take before you started to like what you play? What would that be? Like a year, it two years? No, 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 no. Uh, so I loved performing. I loved performing because I liked attention as a kid. Okay. So I liked, that's all I liked. I cannot confidently say I liked, well, I never liked practicing. Now I do, but back then I didn't like practicing. I didn't dislike the violin. I didn't dislike it, but I did it only because people were saying, oh, do it. So I was like, oh, you gave me a violin. I'm doing it. I guess I kind of like it because people are liking me. <laughs> I like the attention. So that's the only reason why I liked it. Um, if I started violin around seriously, I started music from the age of four. I might have started violin seriously from the age of six, from my father, six or seven. I joined Kanyama when I was nine. That was when I was nine was when I was, even then I won't say I loved it, but it was, oh, I'm under this very big guru and I have to, you know, I have to live up to it and do well. But I can't say I still enjoyed it until maybe a year after that. Hmm. So, I mean, I liked it, I did it, but I really noticed, oh, I love this. I think around when I started realizing, one, that I have somewhere to go with this. And I came back, well, first of all, just spending that year with my guru was amazing just seeing her perform and all of like those things really made a difference. Um, but really what made the biggest difference was when I met my peer group in music, because until then it was okay. In, in India, I met a peer group, my guru students, co-students. When I came back to America, I went to Cleveland for the Tyagaraja Radhana and I met a lot of the names that you were saying, Ananyavani, all of them. And then, I met uh, many other people, Atre Nadan, Hari Haran Ravi. I can keep on Mohan Venkatram. There's a whole group, Sruti Saradi, whole group. You can go through my Instagram page or mutual. All of us we met in um, we met in uh, Cleveland, and ha seeing people that were like minded who were doing the same thing to the same level of intensity that I was doing it, and also because they were from here, it was not. Like we all had some kind of commonality. And I think that really made it fun because then practicing was not just practicing. It was also it was also hanging out with my friends. But what did we do when we hang out? We when we hung out, we practiced. And that's how it it really became 
very important. We would all go and sit to concerts together. That's when I really started loving it. When I had a peer group that that made a huge difference. Okay. So so learning from a, a maestro like uh, Kadiyama, I, I, I just want to understand how such great people select their students. Uh, and I've always wondered that. Uh, you know, I took lessons for like three years and I've always wondered how do you get to learn from such such high class uh, teachers and and performers do they have some sort of a vetting process or some sort of a filter of course i mean they all have to have a filter otherwise it's very tough i can tell you my process and then with my with my guru kanyama i remember the first class very clearly okay so i had by that time learned from my learned until varnam's kritis i you know i learned stuff I went there and she asked me to play the Saveri Varnam. And I remember there were three or four other co-students who were just sitting and watching from behind. So I played the Saveri Varnam and I kid you not, for the first two and a half hours, I did not get past the first line. She would that? sing. I, oh. She would sing. I would repeat. She would sing. She'd be like, that's not quite right. Try to match what I'm singing. And I would repeat and I would think I'm doing it right. And she's like, no. Try to see where you're getting. And she wouldn't explicitly say, this is what's going wrong. She wanted me, my brain to work and figure it out. Of course, she would hint. And this took place, no exaggeration, about two hours. First line of Saveri Varnam. Okay. By the end of this, I thought I failed miserably. She looks at my dad and she's like, he's picking up well. That is her picking up well. For me, taking two hours to pick up one small detail. And she's like, okay, he's picking up well. Um, he needs a little, you know, help before I can directly teach him. So there was a senior student of hers who was learning um, then who gave me, his name is uh, Sri Rajesh uh, Kumbakodu. So he was uh, there and he would come home and he would kind of give whatever training she wanted him to give me. So it was, it was like a boot camp, right? So I would come from school, he would be waiting. I would finish with him. Then I would have to go to Kanyama to show what I've practiced with him. And then she would uh, listen to that. But yeah, that is how she filters. Like she took, can I think her process was, can they pick up what I'm singing? For the first three months of learning from her, I did not know how she played the violin. I've never heard her play. And this is 2006. So I don't even think YouTube was that, like it was there, but it's not like you could really find any videos. And just, so... I didn't know how she played. I asked Appa, how does my guru play? I've been learning from her for three months and I don't know how she plays. So then in December, he took me to a kacheri and that's when I was like, oh, wow. Until then, I didn't even know because she would just sing and she would air finger. Like she would show me in the air, try this, try that. But that's how she taught. And yeah, all of the, I think for her, the filter was, can they pick up what I'm singing? Are they able to understand? Because at the end of the day, that's what you have to be able to do. You have to be able to do it by ear. Kelvignanam, so, right? Kelvignanam, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, uh, I want to touch on your one year of schooling in India. Uh, how big of yeah. a culture shock was it? And what did you find surprising when you moved? Uh, you were oh, regularly yeah. traveling before that. Uh, but, you know, this might have been a completely different experience, right? For that... Before 2006, I'm born in 97. So before 2006, I only went for family purposes, not for music, really. Only from 2006 did it shift to a music thing. So before that, I only saw family in India for the most part. Um, in 2006, when I went, we were deciding, should we take a year off of school? Should we go? And we thought, okay, let's just go. Um, and because I was late to moving, I didn't have time to like, apply to international schools or whatever that I know that that's all a thing right so I went to a proper like it was an English medium school but it was a proper Chennai school it, it wasn't any international school it was not a school where and this is 06 so things were not even the most renovated school nothing like that it was a regular yeah, yeah I think I think now Chennai has and Chennai and Bangalore have a lot of uh, IB schools I think they offer international degrees uh, and a lot of people even even move to the us even then it was there oh the, okay we, we, i remember going to a couple but there was no admissions like the, there's no way i would have it was such a last minute thing so i went to the same school that two of my cousins have gone to 
And I remember this also the first day when the teacher came in, everyone stood up and I was just sitting there and being like, why are these people standing up? What's going on? It wasn't too much of a culture shock in terms of language because I knew how to speak Tamil. But even then I knew how to speak Tamil the way I would speak to my parents. I didn't know how to speak Tamil to friends there. It was a whole, took a while for sure. <laughs> and yeah, that was definitely not my favorite part of the whole thing. I liked the music a lot. It's not that I didn't, I, I by the end of it, I got, I got the hang of it. By the end of it, I got the hang of it. But there's so many different things. For example, their writing verbatim is a very, very, they'll say like a definition, you have to write verbatim. Here, they say, please don't copy. You have to write in your own words. So it's a complete different thing going there. And I, I would write, I would change one word and it'd be like, that's not what was given to you. The med. Even if it was the same gist, they were very, very particular. So those are all things that were very, very different for me. Okay. And um, yeah. so there were quite a few culture shocks, but I managed somehow. Yeah. Um, and, and, under under Kanyama, was this a one-on-one -on -one sort of sessions or were you part of like a group of five or 10 or, or a bigger class? I've had, had both. So I've had one-on-one -on -one classes. I've had, I've had group classes, both. Um, in the beginning, I remember a lot more one-on-one, -on -one, uh, but soon enough groups, especially since she would also do a lot of symphonies like 70 violin things, 50 violin. So we'd have a lot of practices for that. Um, and the interesting thing about the group is that they were not always my batch. I remember having group classes with people way senior to me and way junior to me as well. So we've had, I've had all sorts of experiences of classes with her. Okay. Uh, and now you teach, uh, for, uh, teach lessons in, in Virginia. What do you think is the difference between one-on-one -on -one sessions versus um, a, a, a group class. Uh, the reason why I'm asking is how difficult is it to identify if someone is playing it wrongly or just because it, yeah. it, it's it, it may be difficult, right? Like, it, you know, you learn something the wrong way and it may be difficult to sort of unlearn it and relearn it. Uh, so as a teacher, and you can also say how Kanyama did it is how did they identify that someone was going off? I think it depends on the teacher I, more than the students. And my guru is an example of someone. I mean, to this day, I'm still starstruck by her. I, I always say this. I'm like, if there, because I sometimes, so my guru has a very strict, like everyone knows this. She's a strict like routine. She wakes up and then uh, she has her puja and everything. By the time she's done with everything, she'll really be eating lunch only after like three or four. Like that's what, like she has a very like strict, uh, routine by that so some days the puja will get delayed some days it won't and sometimes she would call us for a class and puja would be delayed so she would be finishing up her lunch in the room and she'll be like okay just all start playing um or she just before she would come out we'll just be playing and there'd be six of us she won't even be in the room and she'll name the person who's playing wrong she'll be like oh you're the person playing wrong and she will say this is the fingering you're using use this finger instead she's not even looking at us so she can, without, and I've had phone classes with her. I've never had Zoom or Skype. She never did Zoom or Skype. So when I would be in America, it would be phone classes. And even then she would say, this is the fingering you're using. It's the wrong fingering. And she could tell, and she's never wrong. She was never wrong. So I, there's no way I could be like, no, I no, that did not work. You know, with some teachers, you can do that because they would be like, oh, you, you aren't seeing me. But with her, I couldn't do that, even if I wanted to. <laughs> because she was 100 so one if you're really listening intently you can tell whether it's a group or one-on-one -on -one. so I've seen it I've seen it happen so many times even when she's in class sometimes she'll just be looking down or maybe like figure finishing something and she knows exactly there's no question um so when I teach I do more one-on-one -on -one, that being said uh, partly because I don't think I have the same skills that, that my guru has to be able to do something like that. I have done group classes. We do group classes. My father also does group classes, but it's much more one-on-one, -on -one, um, at least until a certain level, I think, is needed. 
maybe two or three people is fine, but anything more than that can get a little difficult because individual attention goes away. Um, and, you know, being able to get some of the fundamental techniques, you need a lot of individual attention. But once you get to manodharma, then it's really fun in a group because then people bounce off of each other's ideas and that kind of, it's, it's a lot more fun in a group. Everyone gains more from it. Um, yeah, and in the pandemic, actually, I did this thing where, you know, no one was having any other life. So I said, okay, every day we'll practice for two hours, everyone get on Zoom. So we would have about 15, 16 people on Zoom who are all like the advanced performers. And we would all just be, every day, two hours, we would just have a class, master class, or practice, whatever you want to call it. But once you're at that stage, it's very good because people learn from each other. In a little bit of an earlier stage, I would say one-on-one, -on -one, maybe two, three maximum. Also depends on the individual student, what works for them. Some people work better one-on-one. -on -one. It's, it's very subjective. Hmm. And, and talking about teaching Carnatic music, music versus being a performing artist, um, a lot of people have learned Carnatic music and maybe gotten a degree from like a government college. Uh, you know, I'm from Kerala and there are three government colleges which have Carnatic music degrees. Uh, they may not be a heavy performing artist, but they may be right. good teachers. So uh, you do both. So what do you think is the difference or the qualities of a performing artist versus a teacher? Okay. Uh, I think the all I can say about a teacher is because I've seen two great gurus, my guru Kanyama and my father. I've seen how they teach. And so whatever I say here is only because I've seen both of them. And they're both great teachers and both great performers. So Kanyama's world-renowned performer, my father's world-renowned performer. So my father has played for everyone. He also teaches. And in America, if we look at Appa, my Appa students are, are the ones who are playing now violin very well. So I've seen it. And so I, I think that I can say something about this because I've seen both of them in action. And I think one is love for teaching versus teaching for you know, of course, money is whatever, you know, my guru never took money from anybody. She does not wow. take money for classes. Yeah. My father never charged. He'll always say, whatever you feel like giving, if you want to feel like giving, give. Now, I'm not saying that's practical for everyone because I know there are great teachers who do also take, my guru herself will say, hey, I might do this. You don't do this. If you're going to be a professor, like I have my reasons for doing this. My father says the same thing. So I'm not saying it's that, but all that shows is that they're doing it for the love of teaching and the love of music and not for the money. And I think that makes a huge difference because the second you're doing it for that, that means there's this level of investment that you have in the student. Um, and I think that's possible even when you are charging, right? I charge for my students, uh, you know, I used to not. And then both my father and Kanyam are like, don't do that. You do what you need to do. Because also the kind of students you'll get will be more sincere as well. Because when they feel like they're paying for a lesson, you know, they'll take it more seriously. So I do charge, but I still am very, I'm very invested in my students. And I, I think investment is a huge thing. And many times some performing artists might not have the time or if they don't really love teaching, if you don't love teaching, then it's just something you're just doing. It's very tough to invest in the student because I understand I, as a performing artist, have a very busy schedule. My guru has a very busy schedule. My guru will make it a point to call herself. She will call me before I call her or other students. She will call and say, it's been two, three days. You haven't called for class. I don't know many teachers who do that. So that investment that you have in a student, I'm I'm talking more mindset than anything I think makes a huge difference because the second you have that mindset you are automatically invested in making sure that student comes rather than okay I just have to teach this class hi bye one um second thing I think teachers should be willing to have relationships outside of just the one hour class time because one hour class time is not sufficient some like, you know, if you have any questions, feel free to message me. I'll send you links. I'll send you like, it's more of a lifestyle than, you know, back then they used to do Gurukulam. We can't really do that now. Gurukulam doesn't work, but you still have a phone, you have WhatsApp, you have to be accessible. And I think that's another huge thing that performing artists might not be able to do when they're very busy 
So I think that level of investment is very much needed. And then not holding anything back intentionally or unintentionally. So being able to say, okay, this is everything I know. I'm going to put it all out there. And I think that's something many teachers either, if you don't think about your own craft enough, it's very easy to say, it'll come by itself. Just practice, it'll come. Which we hear all the time, but we, I think we ourselves figured out something while we were doing it. And that's something we should be able to share. When I practiced, I did this, you know, and this is what made me get it. Rather than just say, keep on doing it, it'll come. That's not in my opinion. And my guru will say that, of course, every my and my guru will say that along with all the tips that makes make you get there. So I think just not holding back any information and trying your best to, if one method doesn't work, then try five other methods to get the student to get it. I firmly believe every student can get it. So, and my guru, I mean, my guru and my father, both my father, both my gurus, I'll say, every student who's gone to them, they've um, really done, done well. And another thing is, I think performing artists whether you're, this is a quality for both performing artists and a teacher, is that you need to be good rasikas. Like you need to know how to enjoy music so that when you teach, you're not only teaching the students how to be performers, but you're teaching them how to enjoy music. And there's no point if you can't come to a concert and sit there and enjoy it. If you cannot do that, then, and you're only going to go perform, I don't see any point to that. Or when you're performing, like, and so I think teachers, when they really enjoy it, they know how to enjoy and how to convey it to make their students enjoy it. And I think the performers, the better performers are also those who enjoy themselves a lot more. So I think these are all qualities. I'm not even going into technical things. Like these are just mindset changes that make a guru from what I've seen in my guru and, you know, how they've approached it. And, and how big a role does patience play? Because... You know, you, you know, things that come very, very obvious to you, um, like because you have practiced so much, it may not come that obvious to uh, someone who is learning. Uh, so how do you sort of um, be like, you know, it's okay and, and they are still learning. Uh, is it very difficult for a teacher uh, to be, be like, yeah. Of course, of course, it's difficult. But at the same time, as I said, the answer is never, oh, it'll come by itself. That's the caveat. Everyone, that's a cop-out. Everyone will say, oh, it'll come. Just practice, it'll come. Rather than that, like making a sincere effort to figure out where the student is going wrong. And then maybe I've gone back to like playing Sadli Marseilles, like the first few lessons. And I'll be like, hey, how can I, if I were learning this now, or when I was learning it, maybe I got this naturally, I don't know, or maybe it came obviously, but what would I want to be told in order for me to get this when I'm not getting it? So I will play the wrong way and I'll say, okay, this is what's wrong. This is the finger that's having the mistake. Let's give some exercises. Let's craft some exercises to make this easier for the student. Even though I didn't do it, it's work. The teacher has to put in work. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. So you still go back to first principles or, or just break it down so that you can convey that to... They have to do it differently. Some people just get it differently. I was one of those people for the suddenly versus I don't know what I did. I think I just got it or I understood it, but I didn't know how to articulate it. But if you don't know how to articulate what you're doing, even if it's obvious to you, if you don't know how to articulate it, then I don't think you really actually know what's happening. You're just doing it, but you're doing it on autopilot. But when you go back, so it's work. We go back and put in the work. You know, the amount of times when my both my gurus, they have no, my father and Kanyama, they have no problems in saying, hey, not this class. Let me go back and listen to this or practice it myself before I come back and look at, I mean, I, both of them I have said that. And so, yeah, even with Sarli Marseilles, I've done that where I'll be like, okay, the student is struggling with this. Let us let me go back and figure out why I how why would I be struggling? And then now, because I have been playing for so long, I can kind of figure it out after I do some homework. Oh, it's the middle finger that's working. Like that's not working there. So let me give them some exercises to make their middle finger stronger in those scenarios. And then it might work. 
but it, it does, it is work that the teacher has to put in. Hmm. And, and because you spend such a long time with your teacher, uh, a lot of their style will, will come to you. Uh, how do you find your own niche? Uh, is it, is it very difficult because, you know, you start developing these schools of music, right? Like Lalgudi school, TN Krishnan school, El Subramanyam. Uh, did your guru take extra care and efforts to not, you know, come in the way of your natural talent or style? So how it worked with me is because my father is also my guru. He has his own style and Kanyama has her own style. So what would very much happen And my father is a huge Manasika like devotee of uh, MS Gopalakrishnan. So he loved that, though he learned from the Dwaram style from Sri Madhala Brahmananda Naidu. He had his own, and his own thoughts. He's a very, you know, very unique style that my father has. So I was very influenced by that. And so after classes with Kanyam, I'd come back and I'd have be learning from Appa and I'd go back. And of course, I'd have influences from him. I would have my own thoughts. And what she did was she said, okay, listen, have all these thoughts and kind of put it in the back of your head right now until you learn the foundational aspects of what I want to teach you. Once you learn the foundational of aspects of what I want to teach you, Whatever you put in the back of your head, release it because now it'll come out in the right way. In the right way as in in a, in a way that because you have your foundation set. She never, so every one of Kanyama's students sound different. Every one of us have our own style because she made sure that she says, don't sound like me, figure it out. But after a certain stage, for the first part of the learning, she's very strict on making sure you have that style down, which is anywhere that's the case. I think, right? If you're doing, uh, if you're learning how to code, they say, hey, code this way until you figure out. Then you realize, oh, you don't have to write all of this. I can do all of this in one line. And I, yeah. you know, you, you kind of figure it out. But first you have to go through the process. And yeah. I think that's the thing. But for both teaching and performing, I'm very blessed to have two very different styles. I have my father and Kanyama. So it kind of naturally happens and that the two came together along with my own thoughts. And so finding my niche, though, is always going to be a diff difficult thing. It came a little easier because I had both of them. Okay. That's, that's quite fascinating that, you know, your guru took extra care so that people don't, people find their own way. And it's kind of like, you know, learn to walk before you can run, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you might have performed in, a lot of other countries other than India and the US? Have you performed in, in, in Europe, Canada? Uh, tell me yeah. tell me something about that. I did a Europe tour in 2019. Um, so that covered London, Belgium, Luxembourg, Amsterdam, uh, France, Paris. Um, I've done Singapore. Uh, of course, I've done Canada. And again, recently I've done London. So yeah, I'm doing Dubai in in january i'll be in dubai so yeah yeah and the reason why i asked this question is uh you know you have to transport your instrument uh, and it's sort of your uh, an extension of your body kind of um how do airlines handle these instruments uh because i've heard from a lot of people that they don't handle it the way you would like and has there been incidents uh where you know the instrument has not landed on time and it was just not tuned uh, because of a difference in temperature and so on. Any any fascinating stories? I never check in my violin. Most violinists won't check it in. It'll be hand carry. What about something like a vena or something huge? Yeah, they have to check it in. Okay. So I'm saying only violinists, but yeah, they have to check in vena, mridangam, all of that. Oh, it's a, I think that's stress for every musician. Um, they're pretty good about it. Um, you have to, I mean, as much as you say, please put fragile stickers and do this and you can, you don't know at the end of the day, they're throwing this bag on a belt, right? Like how fragile can they be? They're doing this job, like the whole day, you know, they, they can only take so much. Care. I was actually looking at, uh, watching a, a reel on Instagram where, you know, how do 
American Airlines handle luggage versus Japan handles its luggage and Americans were just like, you know, tossing it uh, and so on. It was it was really funny. So I hope I hope yeah. they don't do that with with the instruments uh, when you put a fragile sticker. I they do because uh, I've seen I've traveled with, uh, you know, Gatam artists and Mridangam artists and all. And I've seen when my got my my uh, Saumya Narayanan, sir, he's a very close friend of mine. He plays Gatam with me. I've seen you put like thousand fragile stickers and then they'll take it and just dump it on the belt right behind. Like I've seen it. The, the fragile. I mean, yes, it depends on, I mean, I don't blame them either because they're doing so much the whole day. So that's why we make sure though we do that, we take extra care in packing their instruments. And um, as a violinist, now if I travel in basic economy domestically, it's very tough. Uh, because by the time you come to the end, they'll be like, oh, if you're in groups five and six, we're going to take your luggage and check it in complimentary. I'm like, whether it's complimentary or not, I don't want to check in my violin. So I have to make sure I'm on an earlier group. Otherwise, I'll do priority boarding. It's okay. I'll spend the extra $20 so that I can get up and put my violin and there's space for that. Like, And I have a unique case, actually, I'll show you, which carries two violins. I mean, everyone has a double violin case. Many people have it, but this is a small case. So the bow doesn't go with it. It's just the violin. And so one violin on top of the other. So one violin is here, one violin will go here. And then I take my uh, bow case like this separately. So they actually, if I Velcro this here, they'll, they'll count this as one and they don't give me much trouble. Smart. Um, but most have it a little easier, I think, than... Mridangam and Veena and all of them. If they lose your baggage or it doesn't land on time, then you're you know you're screwed. There's nothing you can do. Has that happened in any of your concerts that uh, let's say a Mridangam artist just did not yeah. artists I know and then they would come here and they'd have to scramble. Yeah. And then they use someone local someone's there is something. It's like very tough because you have to get used to another instrument and it's not an easy thing. Yeah, yeah. Wow, fascinating. Um, I watched an interview of yours um, in a different podcast and, and you mentioned about how you started off in the morning slots uh, in the month, in, in the December music season and then slowly moved to the evening slots, which is the premium artist slot. You know, Carnatic music is something that, that you, you can't quantify. Um, how did you, can you, can you, can you take us through the process of, moving from morning slots to evening slots and was it word of mouth uh, how how was that yeah everyone goes through this so the morning slot is it'll be i don't want to call it morning slot because there are some very good morning slots now now there are 10 a.m slots which are still considered the senior slots there's so many differences now i think from before um but definitely 10 uh more than 10, 15 years ago when i was going for the first time yeah you'd play in a hall where about four people will be sitting in the audience okay and uh you're playing for an artist you know we're all decent i mean if we're playing sitting we're all decent artists but there's no one there so you wonder how this actually like who's listening to this concert why and but evidently people are listening the Sabah secretary is listening. Someone is listening. Somebody, at least, even if no one is listening, the student would have recorded it and the teacher will listen, right? Because the teacher will listen to give a feedback. So let's say the teacher is some really big artist and they hear me accompanying some of their students. They're going to say, oh, this kid is good. Let me recommend them to someone else. So word of mouth is a huge thing. Second, competitions. If you win in some competitions, then you get recognized. Like the Cleveland aradhana competitions or music academy competitions you know people are listening so that that's one thing now the like landscape is very different right um i'm acting as if i'm that old i'm not that old but i'm just saying now as in post-pandemic pre-pandemic and post-pandemic now you can just post something on instagram and if it gets a lot of like you know or youtube and then people you know see that way they're like oh this guy's concerts are very good um Let's give him a good slot, right? That is something. And then as a violinist who I accompany. So I had a couple breaks in 2012 and 2013. I accompanied Sri Bala Muli Krishna, um, you know, very senior artist, M. Bala Muli Krishna. 
So I've accompanied him. And then in 2016, TM Krishna gave me TM Krishna. Nag. I know him very well. But back then, the first time I played, and that happened to be televised all over India. So because that was televised, people saw that. And then we were like, oh, he played for TM Krishna. Let me try. And then meanwhile, they were listening to my concerts here in Cleveland or when I would come to season by that time. In the morning slots, I've been playing enough that, you know, all of it's a combination of all of this. And I've been seen enough that now they're like, oh, let's try having him in a little bigger slot and bigger slot. And then some artists would I would play with in America. They would like and they're like, oh, he's playing very well and he's serious and he's coming to Chennai very often. OK, let's give him a premiere slot and see how it goes. And once that first few pre like main slots click in and you start playing in those main slots, it you know then it's just like a chain and then on top of that you have to like just yeah and then keep make sure every time you play you play well and yeah so it, it it's just a bunch of it's word of mouth you know teachers knowing you saba organizers knowing you you competing in different places performing in different places making sure you make the effort to be seen again and again and a good combo of all of that is what I think helped getting to that. Okay. What do you, how do you see this whole internet boom? I wouldn't say internet boom because internet's been for a while. Uh, the whole YouTube, Instagram, you know, social media boom. How, how has it affected Carnatic musicians positively? And uh, uh, you did mention uh, a bit about how you could get evening slots and, and, you know, you can sort of prove your uh, metal through Instagram. Uh, but well, uh, I don't want to say that. I, I, I think I brought that up in the wrong sense because in Instagram, you're still not going to know how the artist gives a concert. You exactly. Get a so all that is, is, oh, this person might have some talent. I'm just saying your name can be known. Right. That doesn't mean you're going to. This concert is a, is a completely different ball game, right? You have to go through the whole process. Whether you, you could have a million followers on Instagram and you still have to go through the, the same process. It just means that more people may come to the concert. So now there's a, a difference. You might be popular with people, but the sabas, like what the sabas or artists might not still know you the same way. But now what's happening is, let's say somebody who has X amount of followers is giving a morning concert. Well, even though it's a morning concert, people might come because they know you from Instagram. And they might also not be the people who know Carnatic music. This might have been a film song that went viral on Instagram and you're giving a Carnatic, oh, this person is giving Carnatic concert, let's go. So it's a positive and negative thing. I think it's good in that people's names are being known. And I think that's always good because now you know, oh, I heard this person somewhere. This is something, you know. And if that gets one more person to go to a concert, that's great. But I also think it's changing the direction of art because this is very curated things. Okay, what is there for 90 seconds or 60 seconds that I can create that'll make people go like, but, you know, I don't know if art, art is something that might not be able to be curated like that. It, that is its own art. But to compare that and say, okay, this is so good, meaning the Kacheri will be so good, is not. Yeah, 90 second reels versus a long form concert is, is completely different. I mean, it takes a whole different set of skills. Exactly. So I wouldn't combine the two. I would just say that at least it, it makes people's name come out there a little more. Okay. As awesome. long as as long as everyone knows that that is a reel and a reel is independent of what Carnatic music is in the other form. That is curated content for 90 seconds or 60 seconds or whatever. It's made for that purpose. Calling that a Carnatic alapana or something, I don't know if I would do that. It's, it's, it's different. Okay. Um, so what are your future plans? Any tours coming up? Uh, fans would love to know. And uh, how can people reach out to you or watch your work right um so i'm actually currently touring with uh, vigneshishwar uh shri vigneshishwar who is uh, quite a well-known performer from chennai and so i will be touring with him through october um so september october i'm touring with him november i have a lot of one-off concerts throughout um 
some solos, some accompaniment, uh, and uh, then season. I'll be coming to India from end of November until about end of January or Feb, and then I'll be back in February, and then I have a spring tour. So it's quite a bit going on. On top of that, I am trying to post. I used to be very bad at this because, as what I said, curating content is very tough for me. I would, I'm, I'm figuring out what's good for 90 seconds. That's, that's not my cup of tea, but I do post on Instagram. Um, most of my concert updates will be on my Instagram, which is Kamlikir. And so you can find me on Instagram, um, YouTube. I might not be the one posting, but something or the other gets posted. <laughs> so you'll see me on YouTube. I do, I, I should get better at posting on YouTube, but yeah, I have a Facebook page. I have an Insta page. I have a YouTube. Um, so those are usually where you'll see my work. Yeah, I think in general, Carnatic musicians have really leveled up their Instagram and social media game, which is great to see. Yeah, I'm not quite there. I'm working on it. <laughs> it's one of those things I was late to the game, I think. I was like, oh, because for me, it was many people were like, okay, you have to do this. There's just no other way. I was like, okay, I mean, I'll figure this out. I'll... You're Gen Z though. Yeah, I am Gen Z, but... Uh, I don't know what it is because maybe because I because Carnatic music is quite a live oriented thing and um, and live performance oriented uh, that yeah it just took me a little longer than others to get on the train but yeah in Carnatic music now as you said everyone is really you know concert means there's going to be a flyer that's properly made that's going to be posted your schedule needs to be put out and there's all of those things sort of posting I actually just uploaded something on Instagram today. So I'm doing, I'm also doing better. We're all, we're all trying to, you know, keep that there because that's where everyone gets their information. Right. Yeah. I was having this discussion with uh, Krish Ashok um, that, you know, if you, if you start popularizing Carnatic music on social media, like you said, you know, people who are not Carnatic music followers may also turn, uh, turn up for, for concerts. And I think it's, it's great. Uh, it'll really spread the word. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Even one person makes a huge difference. Yeah, And their whole reasoning couldn't even be, they could just be, okay, they sang this film song so well and they're singing, Let's. I'm just curious. Let me go see what this is like. That's all we need. We just need people to say, okay, I'm curious. Yeah. I'm going to be really selfish here and I would love if you could play some Bageshri for me because it's one of my yeah. favorite ragas. I'm very used to doing this when I'm teaching so that people can see my fingers. That's why I'm like, oh wait, I don't have to do that here. <laughs> um.
well uh kabal that was that was just mind blowing a uh, special thanks for that um i think i think that was just just mind blowing i have I have no words uh well thank you so much kamal for uh for being a guest on my show i think you were just brilliant i think you touched on very very um you know critical aspects of of learning the violin and how your own journey was uh and Uh, i think you're a you're a great asset to the carnatic world uh, i wish you all the very best uh, with upcoming shows and 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 lots and lots of glory and and fame in the future so thank you so much <laughs>